Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. I'm gonna call it now. Welcome into SENZ. Mark Watson with you. This is Extra Time with you through to 9 o'clock before we hand it over to Ben and he'll bring you all the things to do with darts. Looking forward to that between 9 and 11. Telephone number this hour, and we are going to open the lines and take some talk back for the first hour, is 0800 150 That is 0800 850 You can text us here on 8833. That is double eight double three oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one. Is that what I said, or did I say eight five zero? I might have. Anyway, I do apologise. Uh, so, should I do it in French, Japanese, German? No, we'll stick with English. Oh eight hundred one five eight double one. Jump on the phone. We'll bring Ben into the program shortly. Uh, look after eight o'clock. We're going to get Garth Galloway on the program. One of the most astute men when it comes to cricket. Wonderful commentator, but great historian and just got a really good mind on him in terms of an opinion. And I just want to get his thoughts on this upcoming Chapel Hadley one day series. All three games being played in Cairns in Australia. Um, How much interest in it? Uh, Where does cricket currently sit? How meaningful is it in terms of the three international forms of the game and does it carry any real weight if you win outside of say the Cricket World Cup every four years can we in the long term keep our players in the game for a long period of time before the lure of the big money in the IPL means more and more of our cricketers get out of their contracts early or decide that say after 25 tests for New Zealand or 101 days enough is enough We'll have that conversation after 8. Something very different at 8.32. We are going to talk some surf life-saving. Surf life-saving. Uh, they just had their regional pool championships. You're probably thinking, what do you mean? They competed in the pool and surf life-saving. That's all I'll say. So we're going to talk that at 8.30. Really interesting too, just the, the way the whole surf life-saving scene is set up from a volunteer point of view in terms of the beaches over summer, but also from a sporting point of view. So Zach Franich on the program around about 8.30 tonight, just to bring something slightly different to the airwaves. Uh, let's bring Ben in. Ben, good evening, welcome. How are we? I'm very good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, good, good. I'm just deciding whether I go off the long run, whether I decide to sort of come out quite hard now and sort of throw some heavy opinion out there or I just, you know, come off the short run and soft hands and just work the ones and twos and 
I love a, love a good opinion, mate. Just go for big. Go, hey, for, go you, for big. You know one of the annoying things I read today, and I think it was on Stuff, and the headline was, Kerwin eats humble pie on Sam Kane. So Sir John Kerwin last week comes out and feels that Sam Kane should be um, dropped or at least rested, that he wasn't in form. And, of course, Sam Kane steps up against Argentina on Saturday night. And now apparently anybody that doubted Sam Kane clearly doesn't know what they're talking about. But I, I just find that headline appalling. You, you can't be a coward wise after the fact. There's not a single person in this country who doesn't believe and who didn't believe Sam Kane was good enough to be in this all-black team, whether it be through a lack of form or whether he's just talent-wise just not good enough. He's been bloody awful. Kerwin entitled to say exactly what I think most of the country are still thinking. And as far as I'm concerned, the jury is still out with him. But all of these people that, as I say, cowards-wise after the fact, never have an opinion prior to the game, wait for the opinion till after the game. Sir John Kewen doesn't need to eat humble pie. He called it exactly right. And I don't care what anybody says. Sam Kane's still got a hell of a lot to prove yet. Do we learn nothing off the back of the victory against South Africa? Suddenly everything's okay for us then to go on and lose to Argentina in the first test. We were always going to win that game on Saturday. And I think we're always going to win it comfortably. Show me where in history Argentina have ever put two really big performances back to back. They don't do it. You had an all-black team playing for their lives. But isn't it interesting that we've now lowered our standards where beating Argentina is now the benchmark of whether we're any good or not. Does everybody think everything's okay? I still believe that Ian Foster should stand down. I still don't believe he's our guy. I still don't believe we can win the Rugby World Cup with him. And if they do build on this and we go and beat Australia in two tests and the bled is low and then we go on and beat Scotland, England and Wales at the end of the year, which I can't see happening, then I think that actually just highlights how good Jason Ryan is and how good Joe Schmidt is but I'd like to hear from you is everything okay now in the world of rugby because we beat Argentina 53-3 surely you don't buy into that do you Sam Kane proved his critics wrong no he hasn't one good test in eight hasn't proved his critics wrong at all The great number sevens in this country have good games every week. Every week. They don't need the entire nation coming heavily down on them to the point where you're basically going out there and playing because you know it's probably going to be your last test if you don't. Go and have a look at the likes of the McCaws, the Michael Jones. The great sevens that we've had over the years, the Graham Murrays. I'd like to hear from you. Text us here on double eight double three. The other thing I want to talk about too is, and I think this is Ben. When did we say the Super 
when did we say the Super Rugby final was on 23rd of June, did we? Uh, it was end of June, early July, I think. Uh, you to bring that up. 18th of June it was. 18th of June. So since then, how much rugby Stephen Perifeta played? How much rugby has Leicester Fianganuku played? How much rugby has Roger Tuivasa-Shek played? Oh, it, it, it's appalling. These guys have played no rugby. None. Roger Tuivasa-Shek played a little bit for Auckland in one game and looked pretty average. Stephen Perifeta, well, he's just been sitting back. He got his 50-second token all-black jersey. Surely they can release these guys on a Tuesday. They know in their head who they're picking. I think more people would turn up to watch Auckland play, whether they're playing at home or around the country, if Roger Tuivasa-Shek was in the starting lineup. Stephen Perifeta is not going to become better by not playing. This is what the problem is with New Zealand rugby is we continue to undermine the levels of rugby below the All Blacks. They're professional players. They should be playing. You don't see members of the England football squad and soccer missing the EPL. Are you with me on this one, Ben? I do agree, yeah. It does seem like, as you said, we kind of, it's that same trap after South Africa. As soon as they beat South Africa, it was all, all, it was all, all well, and then they lose to Argentina, and then it's panic stations, they win, and then it's all over again. Mm, okay, telephone number is 0800 150 Want to get your thoughts on this? Uh, Chris texting to Mark, as long as you're a nice guy and the players are learning heaps, a win here and there will do. The Pumas were celebrating all week. Move Barrett to seven. Uh, they played together in the backyard. <laughs> if you didn't know. Yeah, uh, look, I'm sorry. I'm just still not convinced, eh? Just not convinced. So we beat up Argentina. Big deal. We've beaten us twice in our history, and that's happened in the last two years under Ian Foster. But it's all good now. And Sam Kane is our man. And the Tooth Fairy's real and Santa Claus is real. They are real. Easter Bunny. They are real. Well, they are, yeah. About as believable as what some of the stuff I've read today. And apparently, you know, we're all proven wrong. No, we weren't. I wasn't. As I said, I'm not a coward wise after the fact like some. Graham, good evening, welcome. Good evening, Mark, how are you? Good, thanks. Oh, great. Yeah, just on your two main subjects, yeah, I agree totally about this business with um, rugby players not being allowed to play rugby, um, which has gone on now, you know, for you know, the best part of 10 years. You know, I can... I could go on all hour about instances of players being pulled out, but I mean, you know, two of us are shit. You know, <laughs> you know, he's been at last, re- at last realised that he needs rugby. You know, he missed out on all that season with Auckland because of the lockdown last year, and then this has dragged on. And you know, I was at the Canterbury game yesterday, and Braden Enor at last gets some rugby, plays well, and then he's not allowed to play. He's not even in the twenty-three, and he'll be ta- him and another and there's a number of others like. 
Sivu Reese now has become a non-playing rugby player. Well, well, uh, yeah, he should have been playing. He should have been playing for the Marcos. Lester Fagunuku, as you mentioned, did play um, on the weekend. But you know, this whole situation—they can't, they cannot justify it anymore. Steve Hansen, you know, accelerated it, and and and, and Ian Foster, carry, you know, just carried it on. It's, it's just preposterous, really. I mean. well, well, it's what it's what I call PowerPoint presentation. You know, it looks good on a PowerPoint, but it's not actual reality. You know, part of the reason why rugby's struggling in this country is because, as I've said, and you've heard me say a lot, we've eroded the other forms of the game underneath the All Blacks. And having guys like Lester Fanganuku, Sevi Reese, as you mentioned, not even forgotten about Sevi Reese. That's how invisible he's been. Um, you know, it's just not good enough, is it? I mean, you know, they've got All Blacks, their profile. You know, these unions are struggling to get bums on seats. Now, you might charge 20 bucks a ticket, but I'm pretty sure if Roger Tuivasa-Shek was playing, I reckon another 200 people might just turn up to watch him play for Auckland. Even, you know, people in the Manawatu because of what he achieved in league. Now, that's $4,000. Now, they might go, well, it's just $4,000. Well, the $4,000 is a lot to some of these small unions. I tell you what, $4,000 would be a lot to some of the rugby clubs within these regions. Oh, exactly. You know, and I just I, I just think, you know, not enough people uh, I think a lot of people just accept it now. As I, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't. I always point out, why is this pay? And they go, oh yeah, that's right. People go, you know, you're right there. You know, and then if someone, if a back, all these guys tend to be, you know, if they're outside back, they tend to lose, you know, game um, I don't know, finesse. You know, they drop the ball. They go, oh, look at him, he's dropped the ball. And Eddie's in the All Blacks. So but they, they're just going to practice. You know, they don't, it well, doesn't sharpen players. It's no, just... no, well, nothing simulates a race like a race. Nothing simulates a game like a game. Um, you know, and, and then we wonder why we've got no depth. And I think what you're seeing with Ian Foster, he is still just doesn't have confidence in these guys. I would have no problem. I'd have no problem if we saw both Barrett injured and if we saw Richie Mawanga injured and suddenly Stephen Perifetta had to play in the 10 jersey, I wouldn't be overly concerned because I'm confident Stephen Perifetta could get the job done. I saw enough of him for the Blues this year and that's the only thing we can go on. That's what we picked the All Blacks off to suggest he's okay. Um, but no, no, we'll have him in there. We'll have him running the drinks, you know. And, we'll, oh, you know, and, then, and then Taranaki, you know, thinking, wouldn't he be better just playing for Taranaki today or this weekend? Wouldn't it be better for the fans? Well, exactly. He should be playing. You know, Australia. It's a, it's a well. You know, they're not. They're not. You know, over in England. You know, the here they are. You know, playing across the ditch, as we like to call it. And a guy like that, you know, isn't playing rugby. And you know, and I know for a fact that it's like day rugby versus night rugby. The other, you know, revelation is is that rugby players and fans actually enjoy playing during the day. Like I was at a day game yesterday. Mm-hmm. You get one or two. You get one a season, maybe two. You know, um, of course, that's you know, people like the late, or oh, not not late, but the late, see, uh, you know, head of um, rugby, you know, Steve Chu and that thing. Oh, you know, people love, you know, they have surveys and they claim no, that no, you no, know that no, people, no. but people enjoy going at night. No, people actually enjoy no. going during the day no. when they're not freezing. Yeah, they're you not, know, um, and let's not kid ourselves. The only reason they have them playing at night is a little bit of to do with the television companies, but they don't worry about the actual fans tuning up live. So it's become a television product. And, oh, no, part, of, and part of that television product is also making sure that it goes at 8.30 in the morning or 8 o'clock in the morning in the UK or 9 o'clock in the morning in Europe. And that's really what they're more concerned about. They don't care about you, Graham. They don't care about you sitting in that stadium in Christchurch freezing in the middle of August because who are you, mate? You're just the New Zealand rugby fan. We don't care about you. We only care about the bottom line. 
And again, yep. that's part of the problem with the game. Hey, Graham, can I get your thoughts, mate? Look, look I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, we went and beat Argentina, but I think we're always oh, going to yes. destroy yeah, them. Gonna get on now that. suddenly everything's okay. Everything's oh, okay. I, I mean, what a load of rubbish. Argentina, mm. okay? It's yes, Argentina. Yes. Yeah, well, I agree. You know, um, well, I, well, I don't hate agreeing with it, but I, I do agree with you again. I mean, you know, every article's been about Sam Kane all day. You know, and about the All Blacks, but it's it's saying that you know this 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 shoves it up as critics and this destroys his critics. Of bliss. I mean, I think he's been lucky to be there. Okay, since the day, you, you tell know. me how many bad games did Josh Cromfeld have? How many bad games did Richie McCaw have? How many bad games did the great Michael Jones have? Let's go and have a look at all the great sevens that have won Graham that jersey. Murray, yeah, you like go you back said. to the Murrays and you go back, you know, you go back and there's been other very very good sevens. I mean, even guys like Henderson and. Um, you know, Ginge Henderson, those guys that played 6-7. Oh, yeah, he was they, great. They had a presence, didn't they, when they played? Um, well, and, I mean, he, he, you and, know... He... And, and now we've got an all-black captain, and he plays one good game against an Argentinian team who I think partied all week. We're never going to get up for the second test. And suddenly now we should believe. Well, yeah, I mean, I think he's been lucky since, you know, for 10 years to be in the... I mean, you know... I, when you were on another station, you know, I was always on about, I mean, Matt Todd outplayed him all the time for, for the Crusaders and the Canterbury and only played 20-odd tests, you know, and he was a better player game in and game out, you know, and there's been others like Lachlan Boshi have gone overseas. Oh, so I think I, I better. Just, you know, but this is another... And, um, you know, I, I think he's just, once again, he was he was <laughs> predestined by Hanson to be there and, um, yeah, and that... <laughs> And, and, you know, they've got to justify... And then he's been predestined to be also the captain. So it's been a, it's been a you know, a, a very strange situation with his selection. Oh, I know, the but like the, whole, the whole Lachlan Bosch year thing, I mean, how do we lose a guy like that overseas, mate? How can you treat a player so poorly like that then go on and have the record? Once he's left, then you go on and have a look at how many times we've lost, you know? You, you go and have a look at Ethan De Groot. They didn't think he was good enough, and he's come back in, and he's actually proven them wrong. I know for a case in Alex Hodgman, Hodgman started to question the All Black coaches about asked some questions in terms of trying to get better. They took that the wrong way. That's why Hodgman's never got back into the All Blacks. Nothing to do with the way oh, scrummages, really? but he just upset Plumtree. Well, what do you mean you're questioning me? You don't question me. We know everything. You just listen. And, and, and if you talk to people who know Alex, it comes purely from the right place. He just wants to get better. But this is the mindset. I'll, I'll say it now, Graham. We are going to we, we be a better All Black side without Ian Foster. And if we go on and continue to win now, it actually just, as I said earlier, it just proves the importance of Jason Ryan. It just improves, um, you know. Schmidt. Yeah, Joe Schmidt. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, mate, I, I just yep. cannot believe we haven't learned anything after the loss against South Africa and suddenly we think it's all right again. And this jumping up and down about Sam Kane, it's just sycophantic crap. It just also shows how much the media are owned by New Zealand rugby and how they buy into the PR machine, mate. I, I mean, you know, Chris Ratu from the New Zealand Herald subbed up New Zealand rugby the best by calling it the Kremlin, mate. I, I mean, you may as well have Putin there, <laughs> right? But you may as well have Putin there, you know. And, and, well, yeah. exactly. Mm. Yeah, they, people people disappear and they you know, wonder people wonder where they've gone, you know, and mm. and you know, but you know, as you say with Alex Hodgman, you know, that's just just ridiculous situations like that, you know. Well, it's, it's political, um, mate, and it's dumb. It's dumb. It's done. Hey, Graham, I've got to leave it there, but thank you. No, good man. Thank you. Appreciate yep. it. Good Nin- talking to you. Yeah, 19 minutes after 7. Telephone number is 0800 150 Last opportunity, really. I know news doesn't is not good news. doesn't stay news for a long time. Now, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to listen to other hosts 
over the last 24 hours on the station. Hopefully there's been a mixed opinion. Hopefully some people have said, yes, the All Black team is brilliant. Yes, we turned it around. Yes, Sam Kane was this. I'm not one of them, okay? I'm not one of them. I'm just not that gullible. I'm suspicious and I'm a pessimist now. And it's that's not my nature. New Zealand rugby have made me that way. Will we beat Australia? Well, they're a little bit hit and miss too, aren't they? I mean, we should beat Australia. If you pick up the paper today, we should beat them comfortably. Should blow them off the park. But one thing this all-black team hasn't shown is their ability to be able to get up every week at the highest level. Stephen Perifetta, Leicester Whanganuku, Sevu Reese. As Graham mentioned, Leicester Whanganuku released for the weekend. But the squad of all-black players just simply haven't played since June 18th. Our best rugby players are not playing. Why not pick the all-black team on a Tuesday? and then release those that are not required. Surely, if someone comes down an injury in the four or five days leading up, you can make a phone call. Roger Tuivasa-Shek needs rugby, doesn't need training. Sevi Reese, the form player of Super Rugby, absolutely invisible, now where the shop window is at the highest level. We've got an MPC competition which is struggling for viewing numbers, for crowds going along, and they wonder why. Text, Artie's missing the first test in Australia, we'll be there for the second. They've called Luke Jacobson in for the first test. You have Hoskins Satutu, Akira Awani and Dalton Papalihi there. Leave him playing MPC. Good point. I like Luke Jacobson. I mean, I would have had Luke Jacobson, to be honest, in the all-black team, and I'm not sure whether he was available because I know he had a few concussion issues. But I'd actually have Luke Jacobson ahead of both Hoskins, Satuto and Akira Wani. But the point is, some of these guys should be playing NPC. All-blacks have least turnovers in championship. How many has Kane got? Turnovers lead to points. Kane running off the ball is terrible. He does a little stutter step before contact. Looks awful. That is a text that's come in. Jump on the phone, man. Talk back is a much better experience. I'd love to get your thoughts. Good music choice, Ben. Took me a little bit. And it was only towards the end I thought, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. Hey, uh, just talk a little bit about your dart show between 9 and 11. Yeah, so tonight will be myself and uh, Ben Robb, New Zealand's number one uh, ranked player. We'll just recap on everything that's kind of gone on the last couple of weeks. Ben will talk a bit about being back up on that stage in Hamilton where he faced world number one girl in Price. Uh, and a few things about that. Uh, of course, we'd love people to call through as well and share their thoughts on the New Zealand Darts Masters too. If they went, how good was it being back and kind of just being in an amongst all the playing group as well. Looking forward to that. That is between 9 and 11 tonight, immediately following this show, which will conclude at 9 o'clock. Just a reminder that after 9, uh, after 8 o'clock, we'll have Garth Galloway on. We're going to talk cricket. We're going to sort of preview this Chapel Hadley series, which just seems always a little bit of tokenism. Where does one-day cricket sit now? How relevant is it outside of the World Cup? Can we hang on to our players in the long term with T20 and the big money on offer? Uh, these leagues that have been held in sort of Asia. You sort of sense that a lot of it... Oh, look, anything... I've been to India, and it's understood over India, almost the more corrupt you are, the more you're respected, and corruption is a big, big issue um, in India. And I always just look at the things like the IPL, and I just... How's this all funded? Is it not just some sort of money laundering? 
um, you know, these setting up these companies, these organisations, and somebody's making a lot of money somewhere. And they've got no meaning. They're meaningless, really, aren't they? But great for the players, huge amounts of money. And I don't have any problem with the players going. Uh, we're also going to talk some CF Life Saving after um, 8.30 as well. You'll find this interesting. I do encourage you, don't don't switch off because it's something that you're not familiar with. Tune in because it's not something you're familiar with and you you might actually go, well, that was pretty cool. So we'll have Zach Vranich on about 8.30. Uh, it is 28 minutes after 7, but I, I just want to get your thoughts on uh, that last chance, really. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to have your say on that all-black performance against Argentina, I, I'm not one of these people who suddenly believes everything's right because we beat Argentina by 53-3. Uh, that was always going to happen, in my opinion. A couple of things were highlighted for me. You know, the all-black coaches and players don't necessarily appreciate how much the public criticising them actually forces them to lift their game. They don't like it, eh? They don't like the way Ian Foster's been treated and how people have been so angry and... Um, almost onto the point of being nasty. But it's because they care. The criticism that goes to Sam Kane is part of the reason why Sam Kane stepped up. So the all-black coaches and players should be careful what they wish for. Someone's saying here, uh, should we really be celebrating the all-blacks win over Argentina? John Kerwin, Sir John Kerwin, if you've just joined us, article and stuff saying... Kerwin's had to eat humble pie because last week he felt that Kane should be rested or not put into the starting 15. He doesn't have to eat humble pie at all. What he said was completely justified. And I'll say this, I get sick and tired of people who are cowards wise after the fact, only ever comment after the game where they've got everything in front of them and can decide whether they want to be positive or negative based on the result. I remember on another radio station prior to 2015 Rugby World Cup, I wasn't a fan of Dan Carter. I felt he was terribly out of form. A few other players, I said it. And right up to basically that quarterfinal of the World Cup, he was awful. And it was justifying what I said. And there were a couple of sycophantic media types that were in the pocket of New Zealand rugby who took just the greatest pleasure belittling me once he did come right and once they went on and won the Rugby World Cup. I'm like, I don't feel like I have to apologise to anyone. I could see he wasn't playing well and I called it on the moment in time. I'm pleased that he improved. I'm pleased we went on and won it. But the point of the conversation was completely justified up to that point. I mean, do people honestly believe Sam Kane is... is is going to win us a Rugby World Cup. You look at the great all-black sides, we've always had a great seven. Not a guy who plays well once in every six games and plays well because the public pressure is so great on him. And everybody that thinks that that one performance, everything is now okay, we're the same ones that said the same thing after we beat South Africa in South Africa. Only to then come home to lose Argentina. Only then to watch 
the South Africans get beaten by a pretty average Wallabies team. I haven't changed my mind on Ian Foster. I haven't changed my mind on Sam Kane. Have you? 0800 150811. Last chance before 8 o'clock to have your say. The other issue, should they not name these all-black teams on a Tuesday and then release the players so that these guys are actually getting some game time? When was the last time we saw Sevu Reese play? Pride of the weekend, Lester Fayanganuku. Roger Tuivasa-Shek. Stephen Perifetta. Having those names playing in this MPC surely would be better for the product. Better for their development. Roger Tuivasa-Shek's not going to establish himself in the all-black doing what he's doing. He needs to learn the game. He needs to keep playing. I mean, in hindsight, they got his selection wrong, haven't they? They picked him at this All Black team at the start of the year purely from a PR point of view. Well, in June or July, whenever the All Blacks were named. Uh, the Eagle is texting, hey, what an absolute legend analysis. If we can pick up a solid win every game for the North and Aussie tests, I'll be eating my words. But we'll be looking forward to... Yeah, I, I say what you're saying. Look, yeah, if we beat the Wallabies and then we go to the UK and we beat Wales, Scotland, England and Japan and the same group of players can step up and reach that same as intensity against what I think will be better opposition than Argentina, I, I won't necessarily be eating my words. Doesn't matter unless we win the World Cup. Remember, Watto? Oh, yeah, absolutely appalling, that adage. One thing we're realising too, though, isn't it, that you don't need a four-year build-up to win the World Cup. And if you think you do, you've only got to look at South Africa winning it last time, mate. You've only got to go and look at Australia winning it in 91, 99. It's just a ridiculous... I keep saying, mate, keep the sports scientists out of it. Keep the PowerPoint presentations out of it. Hey, look, I just want to throw one more topic out there. Um, I wasn't sure how this was going to go this hour, uh, but I just want to give people a chance. And so I'll go a bit more interview-based after eight. But Sean Johnson's come out and said, look, I'm not going to retire. My body's well. I'm mentally in a good place. I'm not necessarily, it's not my place to decide whether Sean Johnson retires or not. That's up to him. The question is, are the Warriors better off with them or without him? Personally, I don't think he offers the Warriors anything. I think he's part of the problem. And I was really surprised they brought him back into the fold. Got some really intelligent people texting in tonight. I love this one. Go Watto. Agree with everything you say. 100%. Smart man, that one. Smart man, that one, Ben. You can't nod your head to me, Ben. That's what Marcel Marceau does, the great mime. I need you to tell. That was intelligent, aren't they, some of these texters? Uh, I think there's going to be a few more coming through very soon. Brilliant. Anyway, we'll take another break. Lines are open. Jump on the phone. Be part of the program. Have your say. Someone just texted in sarcastically. God forbid if Kane lifts the World Cup, New Zealand rugby will have him knighted. Now, Ian Foster will be knighted first. Mark Robertson will be knighted second. And then Scott McLeod will be the next all-black coach. And all of the critics don't know what they're talking about. And those fence-sitting medias, those fence-sitting media journalists will be taken out for dinner by New Zealand rugby. We'll take a break. 
just wanted to also just congratulate Scotty McLaughlin for that victory in Portland this morning. Scott Dixon for starting on 16th and finishing third makes for an intriguing week weekend next weekend to determine whether or not Scotty Dixon can win his seventh um, IndyCar Championship. And Scotty McLaughlin, three victories this year. He's been on the podium, I think, what, another three occasions and really starting to make his mark overseas. This guy is a class act. I think with Scotty McLaughlin, you put him in an F1 car, that guy's going to be a winner. Well, McLaughlin's still in contention too, but he needs a lot to go his way in that final race. I mean, he needs to win and then just hope guys fall away behind him. I think well, I think if a top three finish would guarantee it for Will Power, the Aussie, but it would be great to see one of those Kiwi guys get it. And how good is it that once again the IndyCar race comes down to the final race of the season? Yep, and we had um, David Turner on, and he talked about that, didn't he? The different types of tracks, the different types of format, and unlike Formula One, where, let's be honest at the moment, it is one-way traffic, this IndyCar does come down to the race series, and that's what you want in sport, don't you? Hey, just on that, you know this rugby championship, Argentina being the Argentina, the All Blacks, Wallabies in South Africa. Do we actually ever really care when we win it? We don't. Do we sort of know how many times we've won it? Do we have street parades when we win it? Sort of not quite like the Six Nations, is it? We just worry. We're not really worried. To us, we could, you know, if we win it, but we've dropped two tests in the process, we're not happy, are we? I, I, I recall Steve Hansen saying when he was in charge, the Rugby World Cup was the main one. Bledisloe second, Rugby Championship third. Mm. So I'm pretty sure I remember him, him saying that in that order. So I think that kind of sums yeah. it up for you. The other thing I had to have a wee giggle at on Saturday night with the All Blacks is how this time around Samasoni Takiahau was not substituted until a 60-odd minute. You know, a week before, Ethan DeGroote, Terrell Lomax, Samasoni Takiahau, 44 minutes in, we take the whole three off and we bring the next three on. doesn't matter how well they're playing. We predetermined it, so we're going to do it, which is just stupid. Takiaho is the X factor at the moment in that forward pack. Now, I'm still not sure why he can't play the 80 minutes and why we somehow need to think we can have to substitute him. You're telling him that he can't play 80 minutes. You've got to go the other way and go, you can play 80 minutes. Remember when they said you couldn't break four minutes for the mile? Rogers Bannister breaks four minutes for the mile and then literally about three weeks later, John Landy, the Australian, does it and then everybody starts going under it. I thought Sam Whitelock actually played well, to be fair. Um, Shannon Frizzell, can't really fault him at the moment. Real X factor? Probably not, but brings a physicality to it. Yeah, Sam Kane played well, but he needed to. Artie Severe, well, he's the best rugby player in the world at the moment. I don't care what anyone says. Um, yeah, Aaron Smith. Oh, oh, you know, people jumping up and down about David Harvey and Rico Wani, this great midfield combination for the All Blacks. Anton Lennart-Brown, Jack Goodyear were your midfield combination. Lennart-Brown at second five, Goodyear at your centre. Put Rico Wani on one wing. Go and drop Will Jordan at fullback. And if you want to play Caleb Clark or one of the other wingers on the left, so be it then I think you actually start to have a really good backline that's defensively very good, got a lot of intelligence in it. Enrico Awani becomes what I think he is, the best winger in the world, not the best centre. And I still think there's a lot to be done with our forwards, still just absolutely not convinced at all. That team got the go forward early, Argentina waved the white flag and we kicked on. The problem with this all-black team is if they don't get the early dominance, 
they don't seem to be able to get any dominance. And I'm just not sure that the likes of England, Ireland, Wales, France, I'm even going to throw Scotland in there, are going to roll over as quickly as Argentina did on Saturday night. Interesting, isn't it? We've fallen so far that we're benchmarking Argentina now. We beat Argentina, everything's okay. Ben? But that benchmark was almost set last year when, at the end of the year, when... Foster was asked about losing those back-to-back tests and he said, well, South Africa only won half their games and Australia didn't do much better. So that was the kind of standard set by, so, so by that, the coaching yes. staff last year, which is really infuriating because, for one, South Africa hadn't played since winning the World Cup. But secondly, the All Blacks have always set the pinnacle standard, so we shouldn't be lowering yeah. our standards to compare ourselves. No, but historically, South Africa have always gone on those Northern Hemisphere tours and lost. So have Australia. So it's nothing new. Those guys have always been... I'll say this about South Africa, and this is where the All Blacks have always been different. You could have South Africa beating us one week, but then losing to Scotland the next week. They always lift against us like no other country. The All Blacks just don't lose. So suddenly saying, no, it's okay because the others have lost. That's a bit like saying, well, you killed somebody, so I can kill somebody. It's a ridiculous statement. But again, just sums up the mindset of Ian Foster. If these guys are still walking around smiling today and think it all's forgiven, they're delusional. And if anybody has forgiven them based on that, I think you're going to, I think there's going to be another wake-up call coming. I think we will lose one of the tests to the Wallabies. 14 minutes away from 8. 0800. 150811 is the number. Taking your calls. The Gunners is going to go to the Wellington show, I think, and the Auckland show. First real big band for me. It's always been my benchmark, the Guns N' Roses. It's always been the go-to. In fact, I'd put Appetite for Destruction down as my number one album, and then I'd put an album called Rainbow Rising from a band called Rainbow at my number two. Maybe Temple of the Dog. Pearl Jam and um, Soundgarden, Chris Cornell combined. It's probably maybe my number three album. Hmm. Hey, um, some really good texts that have come in. I like this one. Uh, something very, very intelligent texts. And you are the man, Watto. If the All Blacks don't win the World Cup, you should be knighted. Ah, it's a beautiful thing. We all know sort of love songs to midnight. Uh, the Box have a lower winning percentage playing in South Africa than the All Blacks do playing out of New Zealand. Okay. Uh, one thing that's certain, Watto, is that Scott Robertson won't be coaching the All Blacks as we only the only Crusaders coach we need is Ryan and Schmidt. Razor said he wanted the coach. He wanted coach against the All Blacks, so let him have his wish. Jamie Joseph to coach the All Blacks from 2024. Great show, Watto. Uh, yeah, look, um... Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? The whole Ryan-Schmidt combination. They're certainly making a big difference, but the fact is, once they're well and truly embedded in this all-black start winning, again, to me it just highlights how inept Ian Foster is. Another text like this one. Hi, Mark. Last, and this is brilliant. This is brilliant because this is so true. And this is this ridiculous mindset we've got to get out of in this country. Hi, Mark. Last Rugby World Cup. South Africa lost to New Zealand in pool play. And their only other games of significance were a quarterfinal against Japan, which, let's be honest, you expect to win that. A semi-final against Wales, and you expect to probably beat Wales. And a final against England, who shot their bolt against us a week before. 
Four years of rest and rotation with the World Cup in mind simply isn't needed. It's a random knockout comp where the draw plays a significant part. I'd rather its importance was reduced. Cheers, Matt. Brilliant, brilliant text, Matt. Absolutely 100% agree. And the thing is, you can rest and rotate all your players in two, three years. You can't prevent them from picking up major injuries. You really don't even know what your squad's going to be, probably, until 10, 12 weeks out. You've just got to have a good, solid foundation, look at the draw, and you've got to front up, really, for a quarterfinal, a semifinal, and a final, and get some sort of momentum. And a team like the All Blacks, you'd expect one of those three to be probably a game you'd expect to win, i.e. the quarterfinal. I mean, let's be honest with the All Blacks. We've only missed out on the semifinals of the Rugby World Cup once. That was back in 2007. Semifinal, winners in 87, semifinals in 91, finalists in 95. Semi-finals in 99 got knocked out by the French. 2003 knocked out by Australia in the semi-final. 2007, quarter-finals against the French. 2011, we won it. 2015, we won it. 2019, semi-final beaten by England. So really, there's one or two games. And it is a ridiculous mindset. saying, oh, we've got to build towards the World Cup. No, we just have to win test matches like we've always done outside of the World Cup. It's not okay to experiment. It's not okay to lose. But I just want to say this again. Release the wider All Blacks. Let them play rugby, man. Let Sevu Reese, Lester Whanganuki be a part of this MPC competition. Faka Akatao, the third string halfback, let him go and play. No? Let Roger Tuivasa Shek continue to develop. Please do not take him on the end of the year tour. Not good enough. He's not good enough. Let him play rugby. Let him develop. It is coming up to, well, it is five minutes away from eight. After eight, we're talking cricket with Garth Galloway. We'll talk some surf life-saving as well, something very, very different. Very cool. I think you'll find the interview at 8.30 really interesting. Looking forward to having your company. Don't forget, you can text us here on double eight double three. Not a bad tune, not a bad tune. Great version, actually. It's a cold chisel cover. Yeah. I still think Guns N' Roses' live version is the best I've heard. No, the live version's very cool, man. No? Shaking your head, not impressed? Nah, just, I have to disagree. Really? Yeah. I like you, though, Ben. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. You're we starting can... to sound like my wife. You're disagreeing with me. We can, we can disagree, but still <laughs> like each other. No, that's right, we can. Of course, are we allowed to do that these days? Who knows? Yeah, anyway, just got to be kind, be kind. Uh, look, anyway, uh, cricket, Chapel Hadley. I grew up in the 1980s. Well, I didn't know. I grew up in the 70s, but the 80s was when I really got into my cricket. In fact, I think the first one-day game I might have gone to was Eden Park, and it was the return series after the underarm incident. And Martin Crowe played his debut, and Johnny Wright and Bruce Edgar and that wonderful era of the 1980s. And one-day cricket was just the biggest thing in the world. It was just so cool. It captivated people. Lance Kenza's six sixes. You had the great West Indian sides. 
and it actually carried some weight throughout the 1990s, but with the advent of T20 cricket, it's hard to get excited these days by one-day cricket. There just doesn't seem to be any real weight or meaning on it. Countries are selecting two different sides often. Some of the best test players are not playing one-day cricket or not deemed to be good enough or the type of cricket that they play um, doesn't necessarily suit the one-day game. And here we've got Chapel Hadley. Two wonderful cricketing families and a tribute to two great families. A trophy, I think, worth playing for. A, a trophy that, to me, should have greater billing than what it currently has. And so I'm sort of scratching my head thinking, what is significant these days in cricket? Where is this game going? T20 cricket, well, it's great entertainment, but you don't wake up the next day and with a sense of nationalism because you've beaten Australia the night before and you don't think, hey, we should have a ticker tape parade. And as I alluded to, one day cricket, similar sort of scenario outside of the Cricket World Cup. And then there's test cricket. I love my test cricket. But having Sri Lanka and Pakistan at home over summer, having the likes of an average West Indian team and Bangladesh, and with so much other sport on these days, it just doesn't seem to carry the weight. You know, we're not in that position that England and Australia are where they can play for the Ashes. You know, occasionally we get an opportunity to play Australia in three tests away and we should be treating that like our Olympic Games. But those opportunities are few and far between. And then we get opportunities to play England in three tests and half our side are arriving two days prior to the first test because... They're more interested in earning millions in the IPL. So I'm just sort of scratching my head and wondering how the cricket landscape's going to look in this country over the next 10 years. Joining me on the programme to talk about the Chapel Hadley series and to maybe comment on some of the things I've just said is cricket commentator and historian Garth Galloway. Garth, good evening. Welcome. Oh, good evening. And um, I'm with Ben. Jimmy Barnes' version's a lot better. And you need to improve your singing. <laughs> a lot. No, no, Garth, the second part of your conversation is I completely agree. I can't sing. I don't even pretend to be able to sing, Garth. I just heard a, I just heard a note of sorts, and well, I thought that you, you wouldn't hit a choir at school like I was. No, but people once said that of Picasso. They said, like, I don't know what this guy's trying to do. He's a bit abstract. <laughs> you wake up in about 20 years' time, Garth, at 4 o'clock in the morning and go, I now get the genius of Watson. That man is a musician. Well, he was ahead of his time. <laughs> he was ahead of his time, Garth. That's it. Well, let's talk cricket. Yeah, let's talk cricket. You heard what I had to say. I'm sort of a little bit all over the place with it. I just don't know where cricket sits now. I'm not sure how relevant it is or what we're actually playing for and um, what's going to keep our players in the game in the long term, particularly those that probably, you know, are going to realise they're never actually going to end up becoming an absolute great in the game. So let's start with the Chapel Hadley. Um, Should we be excited? Uh, well, yeah, I think we should be excited that New Zealand are going to be tested against, uh, you know, an Australian side in Australia. So that's good. Uh, the time of year is not ideal. Um, as you said, the, the, the competition, the Chapel Hadley Trophy probably hasn't, uh, uh, in a way it hasn't been treated with the respect it deserves. The, the schedule is so crammed for these teams now. 
that getting an opportunity to play games against each other is hard. And we're seeing that the, these um, COVID-related uh, games have been sent off to Kent. Kent's got a population of 158,000, so Dunedin's 115, so it's a bit bigger than Dunedin. Uh, the temperature will be good, but I can't imagine there's going to be too many people watching there, um, Mark. So uh, I don't think the atmosphere will be great, uh, but I do think that the teams will be uh, will be very keen to win. And I think, you know, New Zealand go into a series against Australia. They haven't won a, a one-day international in Australia for 13 years, which seems incredible. Uh, and they go into it, in my view, with nothing to lose. I also think it's a good test for these young players, just putting aside the overall landscape that you're talking about. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how, how some of our young players do play because uh, they've only played some of them against, uh, you know, Ireland, Scotland, the Netherlands, and now they get to play against Australia. And this is a proper test. And, uh, I, you know, I think it's going to be very interesting indeed. But overall, you know, three matches in Cairns in September... It's, it, 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 it's kind of, it's hard to get excited mm. in a way. Okay, let's talk about this Black Caps squad then. You talked about some young players or players that we might not be that familiar with. Um, I'll, I'll get you to give us a little bit of a brief overview of Finn Allen, uh, Ben Sears. Uh, I'll be honest, I, I, I don't know a lot about either. Well, Allen is um, obviously has, has played quite a lot of, or a few games of T20 cricket for New Zealand. He's only played a handful of games of 50 over games and again against the sides that I've been talking about. Uh, he, he's been playing county cricket in the UK and uh, I think in the Vitality Blast. He he didn't perform particularly well over there. Um, he's uh, New Zealand placed really high hopes on him in terms of his ability. He's swashbuckling, he's aggressive. He's performed particularly well in New Zealand's domestic competition in 50 over cricket and T20. And I think this is going to be a real test for him. Uh, you know, he's not—he's he, not coming up against Ireland, Scotland, and the Netherlands. He's going to be facing some terrific Australian bowlers who bowl, you know, at 140 plus, and that's going to be a test for him. Sears, I haven't seen much of him. Uh, you know, there was a time when uh, radio we commentated all domestic cricket on on radio, and we saw these players all the time. But what I have seen of him, he looks brisk and 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 competitive. And again, quite tough. But again, um, you know, and, and I, well, I think it's just the best environment testing against Australia and Australia, even if it is, you know, in Cairns in September. So Cairns, again, Sears, they talk about him as being a real prospect. You know, we need to have players who are going to bowl 140 plus, and he is he's seemingly one of them. Mm. You heard me talk about, you know, Australia and England, they've got the ashes. Um, to keep the interest in the game here, I sort of sense that we need to, when we get the opportunity against Australia, we need to take them and we need to win. And we just haven't done that in recent times. How important is it that we win this series? Oh, I think it's, well, I think it's very important that we're competitive. Um, not won't be, you know, it won't be um, the end of life if we don't win the series, but it's very important that we're competitive. And you'll recall the test series against Australia a couple of years ago where New Zealand went over there and were beaten 3-0. And, and they completely failed to turn up and compete and then went on to win the World Test Championship because Australia missed out the final because of, of overrates. Um, you know, it, it's uh, they've got to be competitive against a team like this. And as I say, this 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 is a test for them. So 
Whether they can be remains to be seen. I don't think it's a disaster if they lose, but if they lose badly, uh, then I think that's a poor reflection. And as I've said to you before, Mark, and to other people I've spoken to, I do worry a little bit about succession. I think there's a risk that if New Zealand in test cricket, if their performances start to fall away, uh, then you are going to see like, there is a risk that some of these younger players will move into the 2020 leagues. They won't sign the national contracts and they'll head overseas and, and chase the money. Mm. Uh, I think that New Zealand's been able to stay together as a test team because of their extraordinary success over the last seven or eight seasons. Uh, but we've just come out of a, mm. a three-test uh, series, lost all three against England. You've got Bolt starting to leave. You've got de Grandholm walking away. And, you know, these are just signs that I think we have to be very wary of. Mm, OK, so from a New Zealand point of view, where is the interest in the game? Where is the future interest in the game? How does it look? In New Zealand? As yeah, a, well, as like a New the, Zealand for New Zealand public to get behind cricket oh. team, for cricket to stay relevant, mm. to have some sort of um, jeopardy, to stir the emotions, to create that nationalism, where does it lie? How does it look? Is it one-day cricket? Is it T20? Is it England and Australia in Test cricket? Or what is it? Well, well, I think there are a lot of people in, in New Zealand who love cricket. And, you know, there's so much coverage on now. Uh, Mark, you can wake up and, and watch highlights from South Africa. Um, England, you can watch the games live. Uh, you've got South Africa playing against Australia this year. Uh, there'll be a Boxing Day test with South Africa and Australia. So, I think the real cricket fans love watching those top teams performing, and I don't think that's going to change. Uh, what's going to happen in New Zealand? It's difficult to say, but I think, as you say, if we continue to attract touring teams like Bangladesh, Sri Lanka and Pakistan, we are not going to attract crowds to the game, and that is the reality, unfortunately. I, I think the reality is also that we will risk losing our players unless we can attract. I mean, there are, there are four teams, really, uh, that, that people want to see. Australia, uh, obviously, England, India, uh, and South Africa. And Pakistan, I think, is another one who, you know, when they're uh, playing, when they're in the right mood, uh, they're a terrific side and can be. And you'll remember the sides, the Pakistan sides of the 80s and 90s. They had some terrific cricketers. They came out here a lot and they were great to watch. So for me, for New Zealand, I think the future still lies around the test team. Uh, I think there's a lot of interest around 2020. Unfortunately, I think the 50-over game is starting to wane. Okay. So the 50-over is starting to wane, though, and I agree with you on that. T20 cricket, I think, is great entertainment, but I'm not sure that uh, the result carries too much weight. certainly doesn't live with us for a lifetime. It's not going to end up, you know, sort of becoming part of our great history and sporting tradition in this country unless we win maybe a T20 cricket World Cup. Um, and again, if we can't attract those top four countries you mentioned, it's um, you know, and with so much other sport now being brought into our living room via Sky Sport and the definition of sport becoming beyond cricket, rugby, netball, and league, yeah, um, I, I, I don't know. Just from what you said, I've still got serious concerns about the future of the game and its interest in this country. Uh, in this country, yes, worldwide, no. Um, but but again, I think I mean. You know, I think we have to reflect on what the uh, New Zealand national team has achieved over the last seven or eight years, and they've been magnificent. You know, they they have been in the top couple or few 
countries mm. playing in all forms of the game. They've been extraordinary. Um, the, the, the issue for me has been, uh, you know, I've been concerned, as you know, about a, a failure to introduce a spin bowler into Test cricket. Mm. Uh, you know, we know that Patel took 14 wickets against India uh, in November last year, in December last year. He he played, he bowled a couple of overs in a test against England. He wasn't seen again. Uh, you know, and I said that he wouldn't play at home in between those two matches as well, and he didn't. So, uh, you know, I feel that if we are to uh, continue to compete and continue to play attractive cricket and so on, then we we will need to take risks and we will, will need to change our approach. You know, if you look at Test cricket and what McCullum's done in England, he's come out and they will, make no mistake, they will lose some games with their approach. And we saw it in the first Test against South Africa. But they will entertain and that, you know, unfortunately, that is a key ingredient, mm. uh, you know, and, and, and part of the responsibility of players. Mm. So that, that's been part of their approach. I, I'm not sure, you know, again, you've got to have the players to do it. You've got to have the wherewithal. But our, we've gone uh, much more, I think, into our shell in Test cricket. We're much more conservative than we were under McCullum. That's, that's not possibly saying a lot because he was, you know, at the other end of the spectrum. But, I, but again, I just see us falling back into the same old things that we used to do many years ago, where you would pick the seamers, uh, you know, try say that the ball's going to seam, seam around a little bit. We wouldn't play a spin bowler. I don't think Williamson understands how to use a spinner in test cricket. Um, in, in, and again, I'm not sure um, around the next captain if, if that's going to change as well. So, you know, there's a lot going on, and, and that's just talking from a team and then from a selection point of view. But again, trying to keep the public interest in it, it's very difficult. I think the public are loyal. I think it's a wonderful game, as you know. But the challenges that you're pointing to, I think, are real, Mark, and I think it's a, you know, you're making a good point. It is 15 minutes after 8 Cricket commentator Garth Galloway My guest on the programme As we count down to live coverage Of the Chapel Hadley One day series Starting tomorrow Out of Cairns Live coverage here From 4.20 on SENZ Uh, Garth Let's look at the situation um, Regarding players Potentially Maybe moving away From playing for New Zealand To capitalise on the financial opportunities that T20 presents. Do you think players today are aware of legacy? Do you think that's important to them or is it just is money override that now and is there is there enough being done in the background to um, I don't know, encourage players to stay at international level for as long as they can? I think if you look at the at the modern greats, you know the, the players and Great by New Zealand standards, the players who have been, you know, so, so if we talk about uh, McCullum, we talk about Taylor, who's just retired. We look at players like uh, Williamson, uh, Salvi, Bolt, and so on. I think they're aware of legacy. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I do. Um, I, I suspect that the younger players coming into the test team when they just won the World Test Championship and so on, they would be conscious of legacy. But I think when you see 2020 compositions starting to open up in South Africa, uh, in the Middle East, you know, around the world, the Caribbean and so on, and that, that one's been there for a while. You see the uh, the 100 in the UK, the Vitality Blast in the UK. There are going to be competitions all year round, uh, all around the world. And that will give players an opportunity to join the touring bandwagon. And I'm afraid the reality is that we are going to see players going off and and doing that. And it is a real risk. And again, I think one of the reasons that New Zealand's been so successful 
in keeping its side together has been through the success that it's had. And I think once you see a player like Bolt, and, and fair enough to him too, he's been a magnificent servant for New Zealand. He's one of uh, you know those few very special bowlers who's able to play in all forms of the game, and he just glides between them seamlessly. Mm. Uh, and you know he, 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 in my view, is absolutely entitled to do what he likes. Mm. But when you see a player like Bolt at his age, and you compare him to, say, Jimmy Anderson and, uh, and um, you know, Stuart Broad, who are still going, uh, then, then you do see and he, he's, he's got a young family, and fair enough. But I th- I'm still picking that Bolt will be away a lot overseas playing 2020 mm. stuff, and he's entitled to oh, look, secure his future. Yeah, and I don't have any issue with him. I mean, he's been a wonderful servant. He's been there a long time. My other point is that you really don't have any market value overseas until you establish yourself at international level anyway. So yeah. you, do need, you do need to play for New Zealand cricket, and you do need to make a statement. Well, I'm, I, I think that's right, but I also think that you're going to see players being pulled out of domestic cricket. I mean, you know, guys like Finn Allen uh, haven't played a, a whole lot of cricket, really. They're already playing in the Vitality Blast in the UK. Um, you know, I think you'll see the best strikers of the ball, the best bowlers being plucked out of uh, out of representative cricket or provincial cricket or state cricket or county cricket and being plucked into these leagues before they've necessarily played international cricket. Look at guys like, uh, you know, Phillips, who's, who's played some international cricket, but plays all around the world with, his, uh, with the T20 stuff. That, you're going to see much more of that. And how you, how you keep people involved. You know, money, the money, we can't compete in New Zealand. We absolutely no. cannot uh, in terms of test cricket. And we can't complete. We don't have a credible uh, 2020 uh, domestic competition. But but see, Garth, and so we've got to find some sort of compromise. But then, as a test-loving cricketer who's a proud New Zealander, I, 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 I just simply don't like what I saw prior to this England Test series, where you've got Kane Williamson, you know, basically turning up off the back of a diet of T20 cricket basically an 800-metre running expecting to go out and run a world-class marathon. Um, but New Zealand cricket don't feel they've got any choice here. I mean, is that just... Do we just have to accept that I, going well, forward, that we're just not going to get our preparations right? And, and you know, and therefore it's, it's yeah, it's that sort of paradox. Yes, we do have to accept it. And, and I think New Zealand cricket are right to accept it. It is the reality. And you'll recall that when uh, New Zealand used to go over to England, and I think of the 49 tour and the tours and... Uh, in '73, and and even further on, they they would play seven, eight, nine, ten county games when they're on a tour, and the tests were picked off in between. They play the MCC, uh, they play England. Uh, you know, they play the Derek Robbins Eleven at times uh, throughout the '70s and '80s. Uh, they would play at at Arundel. All of those games. Uh, you know, the tours took months, and the tests were interspersed between those matches. So. I mean, the reality is New Zealand sides will go over there and they will play. They may play one three-day game and that's it for, you know, a four-day. It's not even a first-class fixture because they can play 12 or 13 players if they want to and rotate the batting. That is uh, that is the modern reality and I don't see any way around it. And if you want players like Williamson, Bolt, uh, Southie and Co to be playing test cricket, we have to put up with that. Mm. Uh, I just want to just finally touch again, just going back to T20 cricket, because we've sort of seen the demise of one-day cricket and its relevance. It's been replaced by T20 cricket. But again, too much of a good thing is no longer a good thing. We've seen the big bash in Australia now starting to struggle with television ratings. Crowd numbers are on the decline. Um, 
is there another hybrid form of the game which is going to somehow come in and (laughs) bring us back to the 80s again is it 30 over cricket I mean what's the solution here or or the Australians just so in love with test cricket test cricket it's going to carry it over there Bring back cricket, Max. Eh? You know, <laughs> <laughs> four stumps. Um, look, I, look, yeah, four stumps, and yeah, look in a max zone. Look, I, look, I don't know the answer to that. I don't think there's another format. I think everyone's fiddling around. I mean, Crow and Fennis to, to Martin Crow. You know, he 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 dreamed up cricket, Max, and he wasn't far away. Um, you know, he was looking at something different, and people thought he was mad, but actually. He he wasn't too far away from, for example, 2020. England have got the 100. I, I just don't think it makes any difference. I think it's gimmicky. Uh, you know, it, it, it's like franchise cricket. It doesn't appeal to me at all. Um, the question I would throw back to you and to our listeners is, you know, how many of you, when, when the IPL was on and, and when uh, McCullum and co were playing over there early on, I watched a lot of it. I used to record it and really enjoy it. Now I could go a whole season without watching a game. I've got absolutely no interest in the Caribbean League. I will have no interest in the South African League. I've watched a little bit of the Vitality Blast, but only because it's on Spike Sport and you've got highlights packages. You know, I don't watch much domestic 2020 cricket in New Zealand, and I think the Big Bash is a bloody awful product, you know. And partly it's awful because you have to suffer the, 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 comment, the commentators who are just, you know, shouting for the game. They're so dull, and, and um, they don't talk about the game. And... You know, there's the mates' jokes and all the in-house stuff that goes on. And, and you know, I thought it was, for people, it was fun for a while, but it, it wears off quickly. They don't talk about tactics, strategy, what the players are trying to do. You know, it's, and it does turn it into to, to a sort of hit-and-giggle competition. Well, it's in the um, name, isn't maybe, it? A big bash, you know? Yeah, well, well, perhaps it needs to be taken more seriously. You know, if it's a credible, if it is the future form of the game, then then let's have serious commentaries around it. But you know that I'm passionate about commentary, mm. and I would always want to be talking about the game and the players, and and not all the rest of the rubbish that you listen to on the big batch. I I just can't listen to it. But I'm a traditionalist, and um, but I don't find anything interesting about anything they have to say. Garth Galloway, it's been a privilege and a pleasure. I'll go away and work on my singing and. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Um, it, but... might, it might be that case if you can't put back in what God left out, which I like to use. Yes. Well, nice oh. to talk to you as always, Mark. And I hope it's not too depressing. I do think the issues you raise uh, are important. And I think for New Zealand cricket over here, it's tough. You know, it's really tough competing. And I think we do a pretty good job. Um, but it's not going to get easier. No, well said, Garth. Appreciate your time tonight. 24 minutes after eight. Garth Galloway just running his eye over. This Chapel Hadley series will have live coverage here on SENZ from 20 past four, from four o'clock tomorrow afternoon, uh, Thursday as well, and then Sunday. But yeah, you just look at that cricketing landscape and I don't know, I just find most of it just so bloody meaningless now. I don't think cricket did themselves any favour in terms of taking it to Spark, to be honest. Took the money, lost your audience. Maybe a lot of people take up cricket because they know they can become a millionaire if they become quite good at it. Does it still have any meaning, though, wanting to play cricket for your country? Ah, you might have some thoughts. You can text us here on double eight double three. It is 25 minutes after 8. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk some surf lifesaving. Garth Galloway was a bit harsh on my singing ability there, Ben. Was he? I, it's funny. All my kids bring their friends home, and I sing in the car, and my kids are so embarrassed. And then I tell the kids, I said, look, kids, you've got to keep a secret. Okay, you cannot tell everybody how good a singer I am and how good a dancer I am. 
And every time I see them, I say, have you been keeping our secret? And they're not quite sure how to take me, whether I'm being serious or not. But no, I've got zero musical ability whatsoever. None. It's my big regret in life. Well, that makes two of us. Hey, you know what I love about September, mate? Daylight saving, not too far away. Daylight saving always says to me, summer's almost here. I live out at Moodywai Beach, just north of Auckland. We've got a big surf life-saving club out there. And, of course, always on patrol over the summer period, making sure that they take the guesswork out and encourage people to swim between the flags because it doesn't take much before you find yourself in a world of trouble. What a lot of people don't realise necessarily with, a, with surf life-saving is there's a big sports component to it as well, a big sporting side of it. You'll see a lot of competitions on the beach over summer. But throughout winter, they have pool events. And I was lucky enough over the weekend to go to um, the Northern Regional Surf Life Saving Pool Championships. Fascinating event. Swimmers using flippers, having to dive down, lift mannequins up, get to the end of a 50-metre pool, sometimes over 100 metres. For the youngsters, diving down, having to pick up a brick and then swimming with one arm to the end. Relays and swimming events that basically simulate rescue-type situations. I walked away so impressed, I decided tonight that I wanted to get Zach Franich on the programme, who's the Member Services Manager at Surf Life Savings Northern Region, to talk about it, to talk about what's coming up over summer, and also just give people a little bit of an overview on the sporting side of it. Zach, good evening. Welcome. Evening. Thanks for having us, Mark. No, very good. Lovely to have you. Um, very, very cool event over the weekend. Um, I sort of gave a little bit of a, a, a summary there, but just take us through the pool side of surf lifesaving. Yeah, I think you did a pretty good job, but I, I guess in essence, it's um, yeah, creating uh, rescue simulation-like events in, in a pool context, and it's a way of uh, keeping our lifeguards fit and fast over winter. So when we hit the when we hit the summer, we're good to go uh, to keep our community safe on the beaches. Um, but it's you know, there's a surf lifesaving delivers or keeps a lot of athletes involved in sports, and um, you know. The weekend's event was a really good example. We, we had uh, current uh, current Olympians and Lewis Clairbert lining up uh, as part of the event. Just come back from the Commonwealth Games. We've got former Olympians and people like Steve Kent who are involved in the pool rescue movement. Um, and there's a whole host of other previous Olympians. So um, not only does it cater to our members at the top end, but also to any of those members who have an affinity for, for the pool and, and for swimming and competitive swimming, um, right down to those who just want to participate and, and, uh, and have a crack. It's a, it's a really great um, participation and, and membership um, retain, retention event. Yeah, just talk us through some of the different types of events. I mentioned a couple with the mannequins and for the youngsters having to sort of dive in, swim freestyle, dive down, pick up a brick, hold that brick in one arm and then try and swim with one arm to the end as if you are carrying a patient. But what are some of the other events? Yeah, so um, along with the uh, the brick events, there are the mannequin events, which is essentially a um, it's a sixty kilo, um, uh, I guess it's shaped like shaped like a body, shaped like a person, um, which is at, which is at the bottom of the pool. So, in uh, some of the events, the um, the athletes will start on the blocks with fins, some without fins, and they'll race each other down, either dive down halfway down the pool or at the end of the pool waiting for them. Um, do a do a turn at the end of the pool and and carry these mannequins back. Um, there is a line throw event where 
uh, competitors stand on the, ed- on the edge of the pool and they've got to wind this rope up and throw it out to someone waiting for them and pull them in as fast as they can. Uh, a lot of fast and furious racing. A lot of ra- um, The majority of races are under a minute and it's a really impressive display of power and skill, um, you know, which is uh, really exciting to watch and, again, just offers mm. offers anyone who's uh, involved in surf lifesaving but has some swimming skill and ability just a chance to really mm. test their medal against their mates. Yeah, you'll see most of the lifeguards on the beaches these days have a set of fins or flippers attached to their belts. It's part of their sort of uniform. It's part of their equipment. And a big part of the pool events are events using fins, and it's remarkable to watch these athletes of all different levels and abilities porpoise underneath the water and the speed in which they can hit over 50 metres. Yeah, no, it's, again, it's a, re- it's a very, very impressive, uh, very, very impressive event. I mean, some of these guys are... Are getting down uh, 50 meters and under and under 17 seconds, um, which is very very fast. Um, but again, it's th- these aren't just also runs. Like at the very top end, we've got current Olympians, we've got former Olympians, um, and we have a very successful national HP program in the Blackfins, who um, very shortly will actually be heading away to the lifesaving world champs. And again, we didn't we had a number of those in attendance over the weekend and. Um, yeah, just great for some of the youngsters to, to, to see some of these older older guys and girls in action. And I should say, 2012, under the captaincy of former Commonwealth Games um, butterfly swimmer Andy McMillan, world champions, 2014, I think, 2016, narrowly lost it in 2018 over the Aussies. But to try and put that in context, Zach, people don't realise this, but when you go to Australia, maybe outside of cricket, surf lifesaving is almost their next national sport. It is a huge, huge part of the Australian summer. It's a big part of the fabric of Australian sport. And so when we can go to the World Championships and beat them, um, I think sometimes it's lost on our media here. Oh, it's, you know, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, surf life saving, is, it's, it's a massive part of the Australian culture, as it is New Zealand's. But I mean, Australia just being, um, being just so much bigger than we are, um, their competition. I mean, their their Aussie, their their national championships on the beach uh, is the second largest participation event in the world. Um, they get close to ten thousand competitors. Um, it's it's an absolute massive and really awesome spectacle to watch. But um, yeah, we are very proud of our of our um, of our Blackfins uh, and our junior Blackfins who go away and represent New Zealand and, and, and they wear the firm with pride. Um, I'd hesitate to say it's a David versus Goliath sort of uh, sort of setup because I think I think I'd be selling us short, saying we'd be selling ourselves short on that. But we've got a very sharp, uh, very sharp HP program within surf life saving indeed. And at the World Championships, yes, they have the beach events like you will see um, around a lot of the beaches over the New Zealand summer. But the pool events are also a big part of the program, and that allows, I guess, the European nations to be competitive, particularly countries that are landlocked, but still place a lot of emphasis on water safety. That's right. Yeah. So uh, the Germans, uh, the Polish have they have very strong uh, they have very strong uh, pool rescue programs. Um, it's uh, it, it is it is a sight to see some of those countries who, who didn't think would would turn up um, don their don their national colours and, and have a crack. Um, in previous World Champs, there's been anywhere north of thirty different countries competing at the Life Saving World Champs. And so, yeah. Right from around uh, Europe to Africa to Asia, um, to obviously New Zealand and Australia, through to the Americas, uh, it is it does it is a it is a sport with a global reach. And 
some pretty exciting stuff on the horizon. Um, I know that the Victoria State Government has filed an application for surf life saving to be included in the 2026 Commonwealth Games. So some exciting moves happening there, and that could really lead nicely into the 2032 Olympics in Brisbane. Yeah, and of course it was a big part of the program at the recent World Games that I went to, and I know that for funding and qualifying reasons, Australia and New Zealand weren't there. That was the irony, but it is a big, big part of the World Games, which is again a stepping stone towards the Olympics. The thing I that I love about it, and I've got a couple of friends who live out in Mirawai who are dads who, you know, probably don't train maybe once a week if they're lucky, but here they were lining up against the Stephen Kents and basically getting sort of demolished, but they didn't feel embarrassed by that. Um, you know, the top guys respect everybody for just getting in, and, you know, it takes courage sometimes to, to race those types of guys, but that's very much what the sport's like. You know, there's just an appreciation. You're here, you're doing it, and I respect you for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the key differences between surf life saving, like, I guess the sport and the movement of surf life saving versus other sports is uh, is that team component. Um, all, all the lifeguards who compete as athletes, they have to be qualified lifeguards and they they contribute their, their time over summer to keep our beaches safe. Um, but when you're when you're competing, or sorry, when you're completing a rescue, you do it in a team. So even in that context, everything is about how you operate as a team. And I think you know, we see some exceptional people um, come through our movement and, and some exceptional people become some of our best sports people um, because of you know because of that life-saving and volunteerism component. Mm. Yeah, and again, so just reiterating for people out there, if you want to compete in surf life-saving, you have to be qualified and you have to be a lifeguard. You have to do your day or do your weekends on your local beach for your local club, and most people seem to really enjoy that as well. Now, let's talk about the Northern Region because I think I counted up, what, 16 clubs competing. We went as far south, I think, as Gisborne. Uh, we're right across to... Taranaki, uh, just take us through what clubs make up that northern region. How big is the area? That's correct. So actually, seventeen. There was uh, your eagle eyes missed one, but no, the northern region is uh, we go as far south as Ragland and as far north as Kaitaia. So we have seventeen, uh, eighteen, sorry, clubs in our region, um, which uh, yeah is quite a is, a is a vast territory to cover. Um, but on the weekend, no, we had 17 clubs in attendance. We had over 200 participants. Um, we had 10, 10 clubs represented from the northern region. We had seven from outside of the region, okay, from all yep. over the North Island. Um, but no, yeah, again, a, a really great um, participation from uh, from the North Island clubs. Okay, and we've got a national pool championships coming up in October, and that's also going to be staged in Auckland at the National Aquatic Centre. We do, we do. Next Carroll's rank is actually the Eastern Regional Championships coming up this week in Hamilton, and then that's really going to be the last hit out for the guys and girls heading across to the World Champs, which are held in Italy later on uh, this month. And then that will dovetail very nicely into the National Champs, which will be yeah, held at the Owen Glen Aquatic Centre in Albany. Okay, just before we let you do go, Zach, um, how do people get involved? What's the best way of signing up to a surf club or getting involved? Best way, well, one way you can do it is go to www.lifesaving.org.nz. Uh, about halfway down the page, there is the Find a Club uh, call to action. Click on that, and that'll link you to the nearest club in the northern region. Um, failing that, you can go to www.slsnz.org.nz, and that'll take you to the national page. But any clubs will welcome any members who are keen to be involved. And Zach, just finally, how? what about your own fitness? I mean, you're a fairly accomplished K1 kayaker paddler, a very good surf ski paddler, very good um, you know, very good in the, the, the surf components, surf life-saving. Are you fit these days? 
Oh, no, I'm very much relegated to the, to the coaching role and the it, it's gone from training to now exercise. Any any movement I do is deemed as exercise. Um, I'll always love the water and, and have an affinity for the water, but uh, no, I, now I get more enjoyment seeing uh, seeing the guys and girls that I coach um, put their foot on the line and, and, and um, show their colours. So that's, that, that's what I limit my uh, participation to now. Hey, Zach, lovely to have you on the programme. Great job over the weekend, mate. Well done. Thanks, Mark. Cheers. There you go. 18 minutes away from 9 o'clock, talking lifeguards, talking the competitive side of the sport. Very cool. My daughter's got right into it, man. She just loves it. Turns 11 this week, but, yeah, we've got a really nice little group of young people that are involved at the Murawai Club. If you just want something slightly different, put some fins on, get involved. It doesn't matter. I mean, you get a chance to get up against guys like Stephen Kent who've been to the Olympics. You can sort of look at them and go... I'm going to rock your world for five metres and then I'll let you have the next 45 metres. But very, very cool. I loved it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. 18 18 minutes away from nine. Can't believe people think I'm a bad singer. Terrible. Garth Galloway should be ashamed of yourself, good man. Don't know class when you hear it. Clearly doesn't have an ear for music. Art's about being the first. Doesn't matter whether you're good or bad, it's just about being the first. And I think my singing sort of is a first. Uh, look, coming up after 9 o'clock, we are going to talk darts. Well, not, I'm not going to talk darts. We're actually going to hand the ship over to Ben Francis. This is his passion. This is his sport. got to say, Ben, I thoroughly enjoyed the interviews that we played last week after the Darts Masters in Hamilton, man. Great job on that. And uh, what can we look forward to between 9 and 11 tonight? Yeah, so we'll do a bit more of an in-depth uh, recap on the New Zealand Darts Masters and quite a few of the guys that actually played over here the next day on the Sunday, straight back on a plane, straight to Europe. And uh, quite a few of them went straight to Hungary, Budapest, to compete in the Hungarian Darts Masters over there. And one of them actually came out on top. So it uh, been a very, very busy schedule for those guys. And we'll also touch on uh, the Women's Series as well, which uh, saw... Uh, a young teenager by the name of Bo Greaves won all four events over last weekend as well, yeah, which uh, is quite impressive. Are we seeing more and more women playing darts? I think slowly. I think with what Fallon Sherrick did a few years ago has very has helped the growth of uh, women's darts, especially, I guess, encouraging more women to give it a go. Uh, New Zealand's got a couple of very uh, good female players out there as well, and uh, when their opportunity comes around, they don't seem they always seem to impress. Yeah, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because as I was saying to Garth, we've got so much sport now that's televised into our living room, such a variety which inspires people to want to get involved in certain sports. We just don't have the population, do we, to be everything to everyone? No, it's very difficult. And as you say, with a small population and so many options to choose from now, it's actually not a surprise that you see less people taking up rugby mm. to go play other mm. sports like basketball, for example. Mm. You ever done any surf lifesaving? No. Ever I'm been not- rescued? Uh, no, I don't think I have been rescued. Uh, not in the not out in the uh, not out in the ocean. Uh, I've had a couple of incompetent moments in the swimming pool oh, oh, I when you, I was younger. I tell you what, it's a tough sport though. I mean, we talked about the pool events there with Zach Franich, but the summer stuff. If people want to get an idea of how hard this sport is, look, stand on ten meters from the shoreline, run in, do what we do, bit of wading, so sort of lift your knees like a sumo wrestler, do some dolphin dives. You sort of grab the sand and pull yourself forward, then swim 20 strokes hard, sit up for, say, 10 seconds, then swim until you basically use your arm as a depth gauge until you basically your arm as it comes through and your swimming stroke touches the ground, not the first time, the second time. Then get to your feet, then right up the beach and see how you feel. I guarantee you will be breathing through your eyelids. You will be breathing razor blades. Ins and outs, they call it. The different forms of surf life saving. 
great to see just so many volunteers taking part in those Northern Regional Pool Champs at the Millennium Institute over the weekend and around the country with the different regional champs as well. Don't need to be an elite athlete to do it. Just enjoy it, man. And that's what the sport does. It doesn't put up barriers. They're not going to embarrass you if you're no good at it. It's not the community. And just remember too, if you're thinking about donations for charities, never go wrong giving money to Surf Life Saving New Zealand to the surf clubs. They're on the beach. They're taking the guesswork out. They're giving up their time to try and make the beaches safer. From 9 o'clock, we are talking darts between 9 and 11. Looking forward to having your company, the telephone number, if you want to have a chat to Ben and the boys, 0800 150 811. You can text us here on 8833. I want to know what injuries you get in darts. What is the most common injury in darts? That's the first question I want answered, Ben. What is the most common injury in darts? The most common injury in darts? Yeah, do you, like, drop the dart on your foot? I mean, I'm only joking here. I know you probably don't. But what is the most common injury in darts? Do they get injured? Do they need physio? Do they need to do, I don't uh, know, do you get metacarpal gen- tendinitis or gen- anything? Generally, elbow injuries. But I will tell you, I did deliberately drop a dart on my foot once to see what it felt like. Why would you do that, mate? I just wanted to know what I've it felt like. I've got a cigarette lighter, mate. Do you want to burn yourself and see what that feels like? No, I'm good. I, I had a little hole in my foot for a while. Yeah. But yeah, it's usually the elbow injury. You know, it's a bit similar to like a tennis uh, elbow. No, seriously, a couple of questions. Do darts, or do they sharpen their darts? Yeah, I have one on my key, my car keys, you do, actually. So you actually sharpen your darts. These are the questions I find fascinating. Well, call, call through after come, 9 o'clock. One day I'm going to come in and I'm going to interview you two. Coming after nine o'clock, mate. Whatever you want to know. I've got to get home. My mum's looking after my son. My my wife's on a camp. But this is the sort of stuff where I will do it one night. I want to know some of these little things. Because I think they're quite cool to know. Sharpening your own darts. Do you have superstitions? Do you have a set? How long long does a set of darts last you? Do you have one that you carry for your entire career? Yeah, some people do. Brilliant. No, serious. Good stuff. All right. Looking forward to it. I'll listen to it on the way home. Appreciate the support. As always. Don't go away. With you through to 11 o'clock. You've all played darts. That coming next here on SCNZ.